재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 And there we go with a bit of medieval fanfare like a maypole dance. We are back on Koreascape and our Did You Know segment with Michelle Kong. She joins us as she did last season from the Seoul Global Center and she educates us on general details of life in Korea, including the historical stuff, the trivia, and the little-known facts that even the Koreans out there sometimes didn't know themselves. Hi, Michelle. Good morning, Kurt. Do you like your new music? Oh, of course, I it's do. It's brief, uh-huh. it's festive, right? and it really gets you in the mood, mood to uh, know facts and t- trivia. Okay. <laughs> so that's why it was selected. Uh, we're talking about poetry and Nobel literature. Mm-hmm. It is long been an aspiration of Koreans to really to get any Nobels they can, but mm-hmm. especially literature has kind of eluded Korea over and over. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a shot this time around. Maybe. But this um, October, this month, actually, the Nobel Prize in Literature was awarded. Next time. Next time. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, when we all heard the news that it was mm. awarded to um, British, uh, Japanese offer, right? Mm. That's got a sting. <laughs> <laughs> Kazo Ishiguro. Ishiguro, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So, okay, this October is when this, this latest round was announced, but the person we're going to talk about today kind of stays in the running, it, right? Yeah, for several um, years. Gets nominated right. just about every year and mm-hmm. comes closer and closer. Uh, we're talking about... Ko Eun, a poet. poet. Is it safe to say the the he's living, right? Uh, yeah. The the most famous living poet in Korea. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, his real name is Ko Eun Tae, but he goes by his uh, name Ko Eun, and uh, he. Koreans have anticipated Korea's first Nobel Prize for Literature for many years yeah. because um, he was shortlisted for the Nobel Prize several times. Uh, and then, you know, the new season began and then the fall is a wonderful season to go to mountains, let's say, uh, all these beautiful colors of mountains this time of a year, right? Of course. Of course. We've got some right at our monitor here. We've got a nice oh, shot. Yeah. Of the city, and you can see all of the trees turning into different yellows and oranges, and they're not even done yet. I think the trees around here are going to look so gorgeous in about one more week or so. Okay, right. And of course, there are many ways to describe this beautiful Korean fall season. Mm. Um, one is people commonly say autumn is the season for men. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's lucky for me. Yeah. Okay. Do you like. Fall out of all. I do like fall. Okay. I, I, I think it's by far the best season in Korea. In Korea, it just right. syncs with the people's personality. Generally, mm-hmm. this is a fall kind of country. The countryside is the most beautiful, and uh, it's the most tolerable weather of the year. Okay. And the mosquitoes die. Oh, mosquitoes! That's right. So men feel the blues more in the fall season. Is that right? I don't know. You would know. So it's a season for men, but they feel the blues? Uh, yeah. And then uh, spring is the season for women. Okay. That's what people say. Do women get the blues in spring? Um, Kind of. And then you feel this fidgety or you feel like, I don't know, like um, you feel distracted by the weather and then all, everything, all these beautiful flowers and why not, mm-hmm. I think. Um, that's not to mention what, your hay fever and your allergies. <laughs> that's true. But we can talk about that two months from now or four months from now, whatever. Right. And the other expression people use to, to describe the fall season is it's time of Tango Mabi. Oh, yeah. Mm. High skies. 
Fat horses. Fat horses, that's right. Yeah. Uh, in this season, the sky is particularly blue, right, mm-hmm. and clear, and it's great for outings. And then the harvest season, of course, makes for plenty of food to eat, so horses. And to feed the horses. <laughs> so, yeah, there yeah, you go. Right. And the skies really do seem higher. I mean, uh, the summer humidity really oppresses like a blanket. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's gone and you've got this expansive blue sky and you feel like you can breathe again in a way. Yeah, that's mm. right. Um, and one more, well, of course, it's, I don't have to explain this, but fall is the best season for reading, I think. Do you think so? I think so. Okay. It's not too cold, not too hot. Yeah. Mm, and then you can just grab a book with your coffee and then a curl up. I th- yeah, I think it's the best season to go shopping for books and to sort of sit out in some public space and mm-hmm. read. You know, if you're talking about really plowing through reading, maybe winter's the best because, you know, you've got nothing else to do. You're inside. Long nights, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm. So there we go. That gets us back to literature and reading. And I would imagine our poet, du jour. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do, do people just sit and casually read Koun, or is it like sort of a high-level literature kind of thing? Oh, not really high-level literature. Uh, there are a couple of his poems most Koreans love to recite, I think. Mm. Uh, but definitely, Koun is one of the most famous and prolific Korean contemporary poets at present. Um, he's received numerous literary awards from home and abroad, and he made his literary debut in, in 1958. Wow. And uh, since then, he has produced over 150 volumes of poems and essays and novels as well. So he does write prose as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So more than 30 works by Cohen have been translated and published in various languages in more than 15 countries. So maybe our listeners might have the idea who Cohen is already. Possibly, mm-hmm. possibly from sort of the international profile. What's interesting about him, it seems, if he started mm-hmm. his poetry career in 1958, right. he must be extraordinarily elderly. He's 83. Three, okay. Mm-hmm. So what a life, I mean, to have seen so much over the course of 80 years in Korea. That's right. And then it's almost impossible to separate his personal life story from the dramatic history of modern Korea. When we talk, when we talk about Kowun, he still writes, um, just like we said, he lived quite the life. He was... When he was born, the country was under the Japanese colonial rule, and he was once a monk, hmm. and he committed suicide several times. Tried to. He tried to, sorry. And then he was an activist for freedom and then uh, democracy during the 70s and then 80s. Hmm. And he was imprisoned uh, a couple of times for fighting against the military dictatorship. Wow. So he has done everything. Uh, but he was an ordinary child when he was young, just like any other kid. Uh, he happened to read poems uh, by a well-known leper poet. And uh, this became the, the moment um, he wanted to uh, start writing poems. Um, the Korean War broke out, though, and then he survived. But like you already know, his family or friends or neighbors, they just died. And mm. then he witnessed some inhumanity during the Korean War. So Kowun uh, was traumatized. You said he was inspired by a leper poet, like a poet who had leprosy? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
That's interesting in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Korea used to, and to some extent still does, kind of sequester uh, people with leprosy, which is has been basically cured in essence mm. since then and, and treated. But right. wow, uh, that that's an interesting point of inspiration. Okay. okay. So you saw all of this, um, these atrocities during the Korean War, mm-hmm. became despondent. Uh, and you said... He was a monk during the Korean War, or he had been a monk during the Japanese? During the, during the Korean War. During the Korean War, mm-hmm. that's when he became a monk. Yeah, okay. that's right. So when he was suffered from this, um, you know, uh, trauma, traumas of war, um, sort of he was destroyed by this. So he even tried to pour some acid into his ears to block out the noise of the world. Um, that sounds like a horrible thing to do. Is I he, know. He, can he hear? One ear is permanently deaf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, well, he abandoned himself to nihilism, full of desperation, some alcohol um, abuse, insomnia. And, and then he just uh, took a refugee in a temple and he became a monk. And uh, since then, um, he was just writing poems in a temple, hmm. but he, uh, in the 1970, I think you would know this name, he read about this young textile worker, Chan Tae-il, hmm. who set himself on fire and killed himself in the struggle for human rights, or hmm. more of a worker's rights. Hmm. And this became another momentum. So he started engaging himself in a political and social issues. So he left the Buddhist community. He returned uh, to the secular world, and then he went out into the streets in demonstrations against the regime. Mm. Mm. And he even visited the North Korea, visited North Korea as one of the special delegates for the Inter-Korea Summit. Oh, uh, was he there for that? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he he lived just a dramatic life full of ups and downs, but he's now happily um, living beautiful um, wife and then beautiful daughter. Uh, he, like I said, he still writes, mm. right? Mm-hmm. It sounds like a semi-tragic life uh, in many ways, mm-hmm. but now he's recognized as the you know for his talent, and he's his life has stabilized. You right? All right. So, Card, have you ever read any of his poems? You know, and I've got a picture of him here. He looks uh, relatively healthy as well. Right. Um, all right. So, mm-hmm. I've never knowingly. I might have. I mean, would you see him? There's public displays of poetry, like mm-hmm. there's a pub, like on the doors of the subway. Might you see co- lines from Koan there? Um, public. Well, Usually, it's international poems or lesser. Stature uh, poets. Well, all these poems you can see on the subway, as far as I know, these are uh, done by just a general public. Got it. Uh, but Kuhn, well, just for you and Kurt uh, and then our listeners, mm. I maybe uh, recite, I'm not the best person to recite poems, but uh, maybe I'll be the judge gonna, of that. Okay. <laughs> Introduce you some of these poets. Just in a nutshell, uh-huh. um, first, I mean, it, in general, what mm-hmm. did he tend to write poems about? I'm sure he wrote a million different ones. Right. But is he writing about nature or is he writing about lyrical things like how he feels or what? Like I already said, he struggled from this trauma uh, mm-hmm. of war. So in the beginning, his works were like nihilism stuff. Ah, uh, despair. That's, that's right. Uh, and then he was a monk. So you can feel some Zen meditation as well. All right. So... Hit me. Give me a few lines. Okay. Uh, Flowers of a moment. I think this is the most popular one. Um, I saw that coming down the hill. The flower I hadn't seen 
coming up the hill. This is one of the poets in that um, anthology. Mm. The other one is rowing with just one war. I lost that oar. For the first time, I looked around at the wide stretch of water. Get a sense of despair there, in a way. Mm. A sense of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. But also, it opens his eyes for the first time mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. water around him. Right. Okay. Um, or, uh, one more, some say they can recall a thousand years. Some say they have already visited the next thousand years. On a windy day, I'm waiting for a bus. <laughs> uh, there's something kind of uh, humorously humble about that, you know. Other people can have their big grand, grand visions, right. but I'm just waiting for the bus mm-hmm. on a windy day. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's talking about, I think, the bus uh, and the wind as metaphors. I think so. Um, and uh, I think 10,000 Lives must be his best known poetry book. Okay. Uh, in Korean, it's called Maninbo. Man, okay, that that I understand. Man, uh-huh. in, in bo. bo. In like a human being. That's right. And then bo is like a life. Uh, or a record. Or, mm-hmm. ah. So 10,000 lives is, uh, it means it's about 10,000 people he encountered in his life. Okay. The book describes about 5,600 Koreans mm-hmm. from historically famous figures to ordinary townspeople he met. In prison or in his daily life, mm-hmm. and then people from stories and legends. Well, not exactly 10,000 people, but uh, it just uh, means how um, unwavering efforts he has poured into this. Uh, and manin in Buddhism means humankind mm. or all living things. But at the same time, it also means the public or ordinary people in terms of the historic, historical period. It sounds quite sweeping. Even if you're writing even just one single line uh-huh. about more than 5,000 people, that adds up to a lot. And I'm yeah. sure he's writing a lot more than one line. Oh, sure. So the book is the monumental 30-volume series, mm. which contains 4,001 poems. So this 30-volume poetry collection has been published in installments over a period of 23 years. Wow. That uh, was finished in uh, 2010. So the collection set definitely uh, set a milestone. Uh, McCoon said his encounter with others is far more personal. Even a casual encounter contains a historical inevitability. I think this is one of the Buddhist principles, karma encounter. Right? That sounds right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. So, I mean, what a body of work. Uh, obviously, Koreans can dive right into it, but um, for the rest of the world to understand it, it needs to be translated. Has has he been translated uh, to a sufficient degree? Sure. Um, and renowned Korean literature uh, translator and uh, emeritus professor at Sokang University, Brother Anthony. Are you familiar with this name? I know sure. him, and I'm Facebook mm-hmm. friends with him. He's a great guy. Yes. Humble. Uh, he's got this uh, amazing sort of acumen. But he's a very humble guy and okay. uh, visited him, gave me a cup of tea, and he's, oh, he's a very good soul. Okay. Mm. So his Korean name is An Sonje. Mm-hmm. Sonje means a little pilgrim. I think it, he got that name from one of uh, Kohn's works. Excellent. Right? Mm-hmm. So he mostly translated Kohn's works. And the brother Anthony said in the preface for the English edition of Songs for Tomorrow, that's one of uh, Kohn's works. 
uh, here is the quote by the professor. Mm-hmm. Goon is not only an eyewitness, but also an actor in the history of his time. His poetry incarnates it, an expression of both the suffering and the hope, characterizing the indomitable resilience of modern Korea and the human spirit. Come on, Nobel Committee. <laughs> Listen to that. Mm. It's time you paid attention to go on. Come on. Uh, so he still does hope to, or Koreans on his behalf, hope that he will at some point receive the Nobel for Literature. I think so. Mm. Yeah, right. But well, whether he gets it or not, still, k o o n and in his literary works will be admired. Of course. Of course. Of He's course. a literary treasure. Mm-hmm. Lots of people uh, make a difference in literary history without winning a Nobel. That's understandable. Mm-hmm. Writers tend to be, um, especially great writers, tend to be a little quirky. Mm-hmm. Was Go On or is Go On slightly quirky in the writer sense of the word? Um, well, how about if I tell you some of very uh, well-known writers, their quirky habits. Okay. Ernest Hemingway, do you know? He used to write standing up. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Just standing up at a counter or something right, like right. that. Right, right. And uh, Victor Hugo, he wrote without clothes. Just me naked. Just completely naked. Yes. Not metaphorically naked, but <laughs> literally <laughs> naked. Right. Okay. Uh, he made his valet to take away his clothes so he couldn't really leave the house. <laughs> uh, okay. Right. And then Steve- I just brew some coffee and that right. he can stay home <laughs> right. wearing clothes. But hey, whatever works for you. Uh, and then Stephen King, he sits down um, in the same seat and then papers have to be all arranged in the same places. And uh, Jack Kerouac, he had this ritual of lighting a candle and writing by its light. That's nice. When it's done, he would blow it out. Mm. Mm. And uh, Murakami Haruki, he's uh, famous for sticking to a routine. He gets up at 4 a.m. and works for five or six hours. He runs for 10 a.k. or swims for uh, 1,500 meters every single day. He wrote a nice book uh, called On Running. Um, And it's a really, I mean, if you're a a runner, it's interesting. But even so, it's just an interesting book anyway. Right. So routine. That's what they say the best writers all have is Mm. a routine. You get up and whether you've got anything to say or not, start writing. Yes, Mm. yes. Uh, And then Kuhn is like that too. He has three desks in his library. Um, These desks are sort of buried by all these books, but he moves around these three desks, like rotates. So he sits down on one desk and he writes this book. And for the next book, he moves to the other desk and he writes there. It's his habit. Now, that's a bit quirky. Yeah. I guess that depends where uh, your energy kind of dissipates in the room. You can go chase your own sort Mm. of... That makes sense, especially if the sun follows the windows in a certain way. Right. Yeah. Mm, okay. I'm right. down with that. Okay. Three desks. Uh-huh. Change them up during the day. <laughs> right. And he's such a prolific writer. If he's in an, uh, this complete writing mode, he, could, he writes as many as 60 poems in one day. 60. 60. <laughs> wow. That's like the poems per hour rate is just uh, through the roof there. Right. Um, let's see. I know we've got relatively limited time mm-hmm. and you've got uh, a lot of notes here. So I just want to go and get whatever you think is the most important to go to next. Okay. Well, Korea is becoming sort of a major player on the world's literary scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the name Hangang. 
uh, and Goon, of course. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's really um, timely if you want to appreciate Korean literature, especially poems. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2017 Asian Literature Festival, that's going to be... Oh, held in Gwangju, Jeolla province next month, November 1st. So soon? Yeah. Wow. We better apply for some kind of media accreditation. This mm. sounds like a very interesting... Will Cohen be there? Of course he will be there. Wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, 30-some award-renowned writers, including Cohen, and then uh, Wole Soinka. Do you uh, recognize this name? He's the name the is first, very familiar. First African... Uh, writer oh. receive, who received a Nobel Prize for ah, literature. Okay, yeah. mm-hmm. He will be there as well. Do you remember the, the was it just, do they award those generally or do they award them for like a particular work? Um, lectures with all the, uh, some. Like uh, in other words, when they award a Nobel. Oh, no specific book as far right, as I know. It's just to just the a, author for like right. a body of work. That's okay. right. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So the theme of the festival is Morning of Asia. So uh, great masters in literature are invited and they will discuss their work and share their insights. Some special lectures and even jazz music performances will be there. I'm there. You want to go? Sure. Let's go. I'm going to book the transport. (laughs) Michelle and Kurt head down to Chalado for the Asian Literature Festival. That's all of our time for today, Michelle. Great start to the season and I'll see you again soon. My pleasure.